Welcome to the Business Big Bang Theory, presented by the Business Centre. This episode is on the NDIS audit process in times of COVID-19. My name is Steve Waite, a Business Connect Advisor and CEO of the Business Centre. Joining us today to help us with this topic are two special guests. One, an NDIS auditor. Thank you, Chris and one, a small business owner in the sector who has recently been through the audit process. Both of them are going to reflect and share on their insights and experiences with us and develop a practical understanding of the processes. To our first guest, Chris Hext from SIA Global. Chris is the Technical Manager, Health, Disability and Human Services for SAI Global and is the SIA Global NDIS Scheme owner. Chris has in-depth expertise of the NDIS practice standards, including all of the audit processes and requirements. Chris has significant experience in managing accreditation requirements for health, disability, human service standards, including NDIS, NSQHS, HSQF, Human Services Victoria standards in Victoria, and the National Standards for Disability Services and the Quality Assurance Framework. In his role, Chris works with a broad range of stakeholders and regulatory bodies, such as the NDIS Commission and Jazz Ants. We thank Chris for his time today. Our second guest is Brad Child, Founder and Clinical Director of Activated Concepts. Brad Child is the Clinical Director of Activated Concepts Consulting and Counselling, established in 2020, which has recently gone through a verification audit. Brad, prior to owning his own business, held management and senior clinical roles across the health sectors, including the Department of Community Services, and Brad managed a, a mental health program and was a coordinator of a registered trainee organisation. Brad is accredited with the Australian Association of Social Workers and uh, we're extremely pleased to have Brad with us here today. So let's just get set the scene and create some context that we're all aware of by sharing the ev evolution of the audit process as we understand it since the NDIS came into play. So the NDIS uh, launched a trial phase in July 2016 and in its rollout has been now completed the NDIS audit process was introduced in more recent years and standards were set. These were the NDIS practice standards, a set of policies that all providers uh, must implement in their operations and are now in practice. And these are the standards that lay the foundations for the NDIS audit process. So everything basically revolves around the terms set out in the quality safeguards by the Commission. So the audit was born and independent auditors were chosen by the NDIA to review each process for providers and their policies so that they met the standards and the code of conduct. Now initially I think we would all accept that there was a lot of robust conversation around this process but the long and short of it is that processes are, are important to business and particularly important when vulnerable people are concerned as customers. There are two types of audits as we know, verification and certifications. The verification audit is required for sole proprietors or small organisations delivering low risk supports to participants. These audits must be performed every three years and the audit is a desktop process. The certification audit is more full on, takes up more time and is made up of two main steps, documents reviewed and then an on-site audit process. Uh, the NDIS has provided advice to registered providers and auditors which has recognised some relief an adjustment to the audit practice to recognise for participants and providers and auditors uh, that there are particular options available in terms of varying or extending the audit process or the registration process with human safety, 
front and first of mind. So, long introduction, but let's get started. I thought it was important that we do set that up. Do you already have a small business? We have developed a range of toolboxes using proven methodologies that can help you strategize, scale, or accelerate your business in whatever industry you're in. Find them now in the shop at businesscenter.com.au. Now, all of us have got notes, including myself and Chris, and Brad to help us uh, make sure that we work our way through this. But first of all, and I'll go to you first, Chris, before we go to Brad, how has this whole thing been for you, this pandemic? What's it meant for you? Yeah, well, yeah, like, like everybody, it's been a, um, a hell of a ride. <laughs> um, I was actually uh, on holiday at the time that all the lockdowns kicked in, the start oh of an extended yeah. overseas trip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, had to fly back, go into self-isolation to find you know, all the, the offices oh, really? abandoned. Yeah. So that was, that was interesting. But yeah, as, as a business, um, I think SAI have actually responded exceptionally well under the circumstances. Yeah. Um, I think we've been pretty agile, yeah. um, adjusting to the, the new normal, as, as yes. everyone's referred to it. We are already accredited um, by Jazzance to conduct audits remotely. Yes. So we actually already had a framework in place to be able to do that. Mm. Now that framework wasn't designed, of course, mm. for doing 100% of audits 100% remotely. Yeah. Um, it was more designed, you know, to, you know, perhaps out of a five day audit, you might do a half a day or a day um, yep. remotely if there's a, a location that's a bit more mm -hmm. difficult to get to and there's a reasonable yep. justification for it. Yep. But um, as you mentioned, the NDIS Commission and a lot of the other regulatory bodies for the other schemes and standards that we mm -hmm. uh, audit to, um, they they loosened the reins, I guess you could say, um, yep. and, and gave their blessing for, for audits to be done 100% remotely. Yep. And now we, we still uh, had to re-engineer, so we had to re-engineer uh, re our processes and procedures yeah. um, to make sure that they worked under yeah. the new circumstances, worked for us and worked for the organizations that we were auditing. Yeah. And we still sort of go through a, uh, uh, a process where we review the suitability to do a remote audit. And there mm -hmm. still might be circumstances where we will still need to do an on-site audit, but by and large, particularly for disability and human services, we've yeah. um, managed to do um, the large majority of them remotely. Mm -hmm. It's no small effort from our operations team, mm. um, our schedulers and our auditors. I was about to say, just for the human impact on you yeah, as an organisation. It, it, it yeah. was an enormous effort. Like I say, I felt very bad because I was on holiday and then I was in self-isolation, so I couldn't <laughs> sort of help as much as I wanted. Yeah. But yeah, particularly our schedulers and our auditors, huge effort from them to reschedule all the calendars, adjust to the new processes and requirements, yeah. work with our clients. And we, we actually had a pretty stunning turnaround, um, sort of unexpected expected number of clients were, were more than willing to yeah. reschedule their audits rather than completely push out for several months yeah. and say, no, it's not going to happen. A huge amount of clients actually were very willing to go forward and with the, their audits, which yeah. we were you know, initially quite surprised about. But it, yeah. it, it really, it actually made sense. Um, I mean, for a start from the provider's perspective, yeah. audits were going to be cheaper off the bat, no travel costs, you know, particularly if they're in a sort of more remote location. Yes, that would have been welcomed by a lot of yes, providers. Yes, absolutely. And a desire to maintain some sense of normality, I guess, mm -hmm. and, and business as usual, where, wherever possible. Those that already had certifications in place probably mm -hmm. didn't want to place their certifications at risk if they had deadlines, you know, yes. if their certification was expiring. And also the idea of using the audit process to actually determine the effectiveness of their systems in dealing with this crisis. Indeed, yeah, I didn't um, think about that. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, and, and particularly where it uh, comes to, to vulnerable persons, yes. um, people with disability. So it's actually um, helping them test their systems about service exactly. delivery as well yeah. as being compliant. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think there was a strong 
strong understanding that, mm. that for, for, for if they could mm. reasonably do it, let's mm. do it. Mm. I might turn to you, Brad. How were things for you? Uh, you know, when this hit, given that you would have only recently, or you were going through the process, what what did it feel like? What was it like? Uh, it was a very intense sort of process. I think for us, COVID in particular place a lot of restrictions and fear yep. in the community and on business. So what I experienced outside of the NDIS was a slowing of referrals. I had to complete, you know, a, a mind map of risk assessments around temperature checks, yes. asking people where they've travelled, who they've been in contact with, yep. um, looking for notices, putting that out there, mm. particularly in a clinical space with interview rooms. Yes. How do we ensure social distancing? Yeah. looking at face masks, those sorts of things to try and alleviate some of that anxiety yeah. uh, for the general public and for patients that we were seeing. Obviously, that then, as the restrictions started to get tightened, mm-hmm. uh, we obviously made the move, like many others, to telehealth and looking at offering services in a, in a different way, mm. um, which raised its own complexities mm. uh, for a lot of patients, some that just did not want to be on telehealth. Mm. Um, but for, as an organisation as well, you know, looking at confidentiality and how do we maintain that? I was going to ask that. Systems. Yeah, how did that? Yeah. Given that added layer, I guess, in terms of confidentiality and uh, uh, patient care and participant care, did some of the assumptions you'd made about that in regards to being compliant, did that add another layer in for you? Definitely, definitely. And obviously that was one of the first questions we wanted to address before having to be asked yes. of anyone working with us is how are we ensuring their safety? Um, so luckily having working well, working for health as well, doing work in the mental health unit here yeah. in Newcastle, we use Scopia. Um, and we know that that's um, encrypted and yes. guaranteed to be safe. So yeah. we very much adopted the same. But I have since learned that um, Skype is soon to be endorsed. Zoom is also in that process, yeah. I believe. In relation specifically to the NDIS, yeah. I think the, the biggest impact that I've experienced, yes. um, and Chris, I'm sure is probably well aware of this as well, is a massive delay with the safeguards, um, the Quality and Safeguard Commission. They have been absolutely inundated. Um, so oh, I'm yeah. seeking, um, so I've been passed for my audit and everything else, yes. but I, like many other providers out there, waiting for accreditation or that formal registration, and Aaron a massive backlog and they cannot tell ah. me when that will be remotely be addressed because wow. they're significant overwhelming so how is that numbers. affecting you as a, as in your operation of your business in this uh, it's pretty significant it's pretty significant because we were told it would be a lot faster than it was yeah. so we planned around that with our business with our marketing but ultimately you know to as a registered provider we can still offer services without being registered unless yeah. they're directly through the NDI portal yeah. um, so we're still getting referrals in that space it's just okay. adapting to I guess yeah. having to work that out. Thank you. If you're enjoying our podcast today, make sure you rate and review Business Big Bang Theory through iTunes and follow and share us on Facebook, Instagram or LinkedIn at The Business Centre. Okay, let's get to this question. This one's directed for you, uh, Chris. So at the start of 2020, the Commission made changes to the rules about which businesses need to undertake a verification audit and which needed to take a certification audit. Can you just step us through that, if that's okay, please? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so for the first 18 months or so of the um, of the scheme after it rolled out, mm-hmm. um, there were essentially uh, two 
components that qualified you to, for a verification audit. So yes. were you a sole trader or a partnership? Mm -hmm. And are you delivering only low-risk registration yes. groups? Now, low-risk registration groups, that would be things like personal uh, mobility equipment, home mm -hmm. modifications, therapeutic supports, yeah. household tasks, personal training, things like that. Yes. Uh, if you were a body corporate entity, so a PTY Limited, then regardless of what registration groups you delivered, you that. still had to go through a certification yeah. audit. Yeah. Now, understandably, that wasn't the most popular decision. And so after a, a lot of cons consultation, um, mm -hmm. after that, those sort of 18 months, the, the commission um, decided to, to change um, mm -hmm. those rules and, and ease them to, uh, and particularly that would benefit the, the body corporates, yeah. to essentially allow any organization, regardless of their entity type, their business structure, mm -hmm. um, to be eligible for a verification audit, yes. as long as they're only delivering those low registrations, uh, yes. sorry, low risk uh, supports. Yes. And has there been any complication of that as a result of COVID, or is it just flowing through? As no, it would no, it's flowing through. It's, it's made the process a lot more straightforward. Yeah. Um, I, I think, for, um, particularly for providers, but yeah. um, likewise uh, for ourselves, before yeah. the change, we were sort of having to explain the requirements mm -hmm. to providers when they would call up and, and yeah. ask for a quote for certification. Yeah. Um, and we would sort of have to talk them through why they're not perhaps eligible for a verification audit. Yeah. Whereas now it's, it's very straightforward. It's, yeah. it's purely down to what services they deliver, yeah. which, is, which is a good change, I think. Yeah. Brad, did you find navigating that? Because I remember in the early times that we at the Business Centre here were helping people, that, that was a little bit tricky. Did you find the process of self-assessment and finding where you landed uh, clear for you? Uh, not at all. So um, <laughs> that was probably one of my biggest learnings um, going yeah. through this NDIS process because I think like many providers from the advice I've got back, we, I ticked everything in the way of like, oh, yep. I want to offer this down the track or I'm going to do this down the track, so I'm yep. going to do it all now. So that was, a, that was a big learning for me. Yeah, that, that, that's been a challenge for a lot of providers, I think, yep. is, is deciding what to, to go for now and what to push down the track perhaps mm. a little bit if it's not something they're currently delivering but mm. they think they want to deliver it. Yeah. Um, there are benefit, benefits to doing it up front now and, and yeah. being prepared for it and not having to do perhaps another audit later to add it. Yes. Um, or perhaps, you know, let's focus on what we're currently delivering and, yeah. and get registered for That's that. That's a fair reflection, um, isn't it? I think if people need to understand if they make a significant change to their profile, they are mm. probably going to trigger or they will trigger Potentially. Uh, it, potentially. Dep it depends yeah. wh whether it triggers another um, module, which we'll get to yeah. later. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah it, it depends on what's, what's required as part of that, mm. that particular registration group. Yeah. Okay, Brad, back to you for a, a more specific question. We're going to jump into the audit process itself now and just get a reflection of, of grounded experiences there. So you've completed your first verification audit. I want you to try and draw on some of your experiences um, and what were the practice standards that you were assessed against in the scope? And what kinds of documentations and systems did you need to create in order to meet those standards? And please, both of you, feel free to uh, contextualise that around this, this pandemic environment and, and what you may have had to do since that. Um, so, yeah, definitely the experience for me was quite... Um, it was a lot to take in. There was a lot of research, and I think I underestimated that quite heavily in the start. I thought I knew quite a fair bit about NDIS. Mm -hmm. um, however, the more I read, the more research I did, the more consultations I had, yeah. I learned a lot more about, I guess, exactly what we were just talking about, the benefits of registration as opposed to businesses that 
don't get registered yeah. and what that avoids them from with the NDIA. Um, the cost difference between a verification and a certification, um, the difference in even NDIS auditors in the way in which they do things. Yeah. And also, and again, as we touched on a little bit before, yeah. the understanding of the registration groups. So yes. being a accredited social worker and as a health professional, allied health professional, we um, are deemed low risk because we do have our own set of practice standards. We do have our own code of conduct. Yeah. We must adhere to those and the NDIS then sees that yeah. as a level of accountability and, and lowers that risk, even though we are offering therapeutic supports. Um, yeah. The practice standards that I guess was assessed against was the core module. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, that was looking at rights and responsibilities for participants, governance and operational management, the provision of supports, mm -hmm. and also the documentation and systems that I really had to put in in way of that was literally everything for me. Yeah. Um, so the beauty of it for me in my experience was, the, and the reason I chose to do this, was that it, it actually forced me to sit in a space of going, I need to create every document yeah. and be 100% above board yes. uh, before I even start up. Prior, and I think from learning from other practitioners and other pr providers out there, everyone sort of operated on the run and created mm. documents and policies and procedures as they need. Yeah. So this, this process going through the NDIS um, audit for me meant I developed a HR register you know, compliance yes. calendars, yeah. um, looked at risk management policies and procedures, incident mm -hmm. management policies and procedures, yeah. you know, service agreements, control document registers, you know, you name it, yeah. kind of, I've kind of got that now for my business, so, which Brad, was a major learning. Sorry, do, do you think, um, given that you'd been through this process, when, and I'm sure you did, you had to introduce some heightened or strengthened or new policies and procedures as a result of COVID, for example, infection control, did it mean that because you had some order around what you had in place that it was easier to introduce those? It was a little bit easier, but it definitely, it definitely took a lot more consideration. So part of the corn modules is providing a, um, you know, supportive and safe environment. Yeah. Um, so that's something the auditors do look for. Yeah. So I had to have a management strategy in relation to home visiting, to community yes. visiting, um, yes. and look at how I was going to operate in that light. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and and, and fr from, an auditor's, Chris, yeah. from an auditor's perspective, yeah. that there's, of course, we, we got the NDIS practice standards, which is what we're auditing yeah. these providers against. Yeah. But there's all sorts of other regulation and yes. standards that, that providers must also, you know, depending yes. on what they deliver, that they, they have to comply with those requirements as well. And it's their responsibility to know and understand those requirements. Now, yeah. the auditors themselves will know, obviously, uh, qu quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. That they won't know everything. No. Um, uh, and it really is the, the provider's responsibility. So when mm. something, you know, COVID came in, and obviously mm. it's the same for everybody um, to an extent, that this has never happened before. So it's not mm. like anybody had any existing mm. procedures in place. So it's it was certainly a challenge for, I'd imagine, for providers to... Can, to we, can we dwell there just thing. for a little? because on, on reading for this, I do note that there was notifications and advice coming from the Commission around infection control. Specifically, what did that actually mean? Perhaps to you first, Brad, and then to Chris from an auditor perspective. What did that actually mean? What did you have to do uh, to meet that, um, that benchmark? So for me, it was very much around social distancing, keeping a record of who's coming in and out of yeah. my business and their details. Yeah. Um, keeping accurate time records 
So if someone was COVID affected in my business on a particular day between yeah. say 11 and 12, we know when that is to help trackers. Yeah. And obviously then we had to do temperature checks that was encouraged, yeah. uh, looking at face masks, all those sorts of things. Obviously hand sanitization was huge. Mm -hmm. um, we always had to have a, a bottle out at the front. For, for you as an auditor, you, you are looking for, you know, industry standard practices. So what does it mean? Yeah, I mean, the, as I said, it was the sort of thing where it's we expect the provider to know what they need to do. They need to be able to demonstrate that they're so doing evidence it. of that. Um, evidence of that. Yeah. So look, there's not there's nothing in the practice standards about you know mm. making making sure so, mm. you know, social distancing and hand mm. sanitizer and, and all mm. of that. But we do expect to see you know and, and you know things like the support provision environment, making sure it's a safe, clean environment, mm -hmm. and, and specifically how are they addressing these. Mm particular requirements so um, I, I, it's a good example actually in our we, we underwent our jazz ants audit a couple of weeks ago so they were looking through our audit reports yeah. and they specifically were look, going through them to see if the auditor had referenced anything to do with the the clients uh, COVID safe plan wow. and, yeah. and what they were doing okay. uh, about COVID and, and right. it, it was in the report thankfully the auditor yeah. Had, yeah. had documented it yeah. and yes yeah, so, so so we're just looking for evidence that they have implemented some sort of COVID so safe. Good advice for anyone going through the process don't assume, uh, and obviously uh, is something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, yep. You absolutely. can't just leave it as, you know, I've put my policies and procedure framework in place. Mm. I don't need to address it. It's assumed, no, not assumed. Don't absolutely. assume. No, it has to be demonstrated. Okay. Create your own Big Bang and see your business idea come to life. Our online course, Start Your Own Business, helps you learn the basics in marketing, compliance, modelling and small business finances. As a bonus for our podcast listeners, you can use the code BIGBANG to access the Start Your Own Business course online for free at businesscentre.com.au. Question back to you, Chris. So where verification audits have always been conducted remotely, certification audits are supposed to have a stage two component that were conducted in person. So when COVID came along, it really disrupted the way certification audits you know, have occurred during this. this. So could you share a little bit for us and, and for our listeners about yeah. that? Yeah, so it, it was definitely a, a big change for us. Uh, as you say, that they were ordinarily done, done on site or in person. Yeah. We did do the occasional one where we could do, uh, justify doing it remotely. But uh, as mentioned earlier, we, we were able to pivot fairly swiftly to, mm -hmm. to doing these remote audits. Mm -hmm. um, huge adjustment for our auditors. These guys are used to going out, traveling on the road every day. Um, uh, one of my auditors told me that uh, he doesn't think he's ever sat in the same chair for <laughs> not more than three days at a time. Yeah. So I think it was quite a mental adjustment mm -hmm. for, for the auditors. Mm. We've had to train all our auditors in uh, remote audit etiquette. It's even little things. I mean, it's the typical things you see about how to conduct yourself over a Zoom meeting, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's just that the Zoom meeting is going on potentially for three or four straight days. Okay. So it's about maintaining the, the professionalism. Yeah. So, so social interactions can be a lot more challenging. Mm. Um, you know, if you're not in the same room as, as, the, as that person, mm -hmm. it, it can be very challenging. You're not in the room to pick up on social cues. Mm. It's important not to interrupt anyone, of course, not talk over them. Warning the provider if you can, if they're screen sharing mm -hmm. um, and they're showing you some evidence ah. and then they flick to their emails and we can see their emails. Yes. It's important for the auditor to 
immediately tell the provider, well, yes. by the way, I can, I can see your emails. You might or or notifications coming yeah, through or something. Yeah, you might yeah. just want to hide your screen. Turn those off. Um, yeah, mm. so just, just important to point those out to the provider. Mm. Um, so it's little things like that that you might not necessarily think about because I mean, a, lot, a lot of Zoom calls you're sort of with your colleagues, um, I guess, but when you're doing it with mm. providers that you're, you're auditing, um, mm. it's, it's different. Um, and yeah. you know, making sure you're, there's nothing in the background, making mm. sure that you're, you're well presented, all of those kinds of Can things. Can I ask a question from an auditor perspective? That, so you would have had documents submitted to you anyway. Uh, if new documentation is provided as is inherent just in the actual audit process that you're involved in online, are you screen capturing or are you, are you, are you, are you videoing this? Uh? Yeah, so... Um, I guess what we're getting at is the confidentiality aspect yes. and the privacy aspect of, yes. of the documentation, um, which is tricky. Now, we recommend to our clients, where possible, screen share, so they maintain control. Okay. We don't certainly don't record the audits, and we, we don't take screen grabs. Right. But yeah, it's it, we we do try and stress that we want the provider to maintain that control of their documentation. Okay. I I do know that it can be challenging, particularly where there's provider needs to provide perhaps a driver's license for a worker or you know, some sort of uh, worker screening evidence, mm -hmm. um, and they have to hold the driving license up yep. to the webcam, which yeah. uh, is a bit <laughs> difficult for the auditor to, to squint and see the the details on that and note yeah. them down. But that that's that might be what they have to do. Okay. Sometimes it's inevitable that the provider will just have to email stuff through, mm -hmm. um, in which case um, the auditor will absolutely delete that at the end of the day, or if mm -hmm. they've got a, a system like SharePoint, mm -hmm. where they, all the documents can be uploaded to there I, and deleted afterwards. Yeah. Um, or, the, I mean, it, the provider might have already uploaded a lot of the documentation into the portal already, so it's it's yeah. in there. But yes, it's, it's absolutely vital to, to reiterate that the auditors do not retain any of the evidence that's provided okay. to them. I just want to, Brad, from your uh, colleagues in, in your profession, in your industry, have you, have you heard any, any uh, feedback or anything you'd like to add about the audit experience online? Uh, no, I, I think, well, the only thing that um, has been consistently fed back to me is how, incons or how consistently inconsistent it can be, mm -hmm. depending on which auditor um, you get yeah. um, and which agency you're going through. Yeah. Um, so I know people that have gone through audits and had very little to no contact, yes. other than a confirmation email at the end saying, no worries, you got through, well done. Yeah. And others that have been a lot more involved. And that's on both sides of certification and verification um yeah. obviously certification yeah. requires the audit a much more intense audit anyway but yeah. the level of engagement can vary a lot and yeah. expectations you, as well chris is i mean that having been had a past life in in auditing and, mm. and compliance that is can sometimes be very much a contextual thing about the style of the auditor it doesn't mean that they're straying from the standards or misinterpreting it's just a, a stylistic thing sometimes or? uh yeah in, in the con yeah so if we're talking about um different auditors taking different approaches mm. absolutely mm. um all you know Auditors don't come off a, you know, no, conveyor belt. Come, yeah, come yeah. off a conveyor belt out yeah. of a factory, so they do have their own personalities, their own mm -hmm. experience, their own um, mm -hmm. knowledge. Um, you might have an auditor with a background in health and safety, mm -hmm. so that's something that you know, yep. they might pick up something in an audit that a, yeah. uh, an auditor who's a, a background in something else um, wouldn't necessarily pick up. Yeah, and uh, it's just unavoidable that they are all auditing the same standards. So ultimately, mm -hmm. there should be a. a, a, a air of consistency, but there will at the same time be differences. Okay. Um, and, we, and we have had to sort of have conversations about that with, with yeah. providers. And, and, and there's you, a code you, of practice. You've got to see that as a benefit 
um, yeah. at the end of the day. You know, yes, one auditor might not have picked something up at the at one audit, and then yeah. at your next audit, a different auditor might pick something else up that wasn't picked yeah. up before. Even though, even if nothing has changed, yeah. that might well happen, and that's purely because of the experience of the and auditor. And there's a code of practice for auditors, and I'm sure yeah. you, as every other auditing organisation approved have a very transparent and open way of com having a conversation mm. about the audit and the audit experience yeah. as, Absolutely. as part we, of the process. We have to, because people, yeah. people have to trust the process. Yeah. And, and look, we're, we're certainly not perfect. Um, mm. And if, if there is an issue, absolutely the, the client can, can come mm. to us, it can approach us and, mm. and explain the issue and, and we can, can try and work it okay. out. Innovation is more than a buzzword. Innovation is not just for startups. If you are looking for ways at adding value to your customer, introducing new products and services, or want to explore ways of working smarter, check out the Start House programs at businesscentre.com.au. The question yeah. is from uh, Janelle Rhodes. She's asked, how long have you heard the commission is currently taking to process successful audited businesses? Kind of, we touched on it a bit, but. Yeah, so that's, it's actually a question where, where we can't really answer. Okay. Um, the, the commission hasn't actually given us yeah. a, a time frame for how long they're taking. Um, mm. We don't have any transparency no. on that process. No. Literally, once we submit the report and the recommendation to the commission, mm. it's all over to them. We, ca we can't provide any kind of timelines because it, it varies so much. Yeah. I'm not sure how they're prioritizing the workload. I think yeah. it's a combination of registration end dates yeah. and when the application was originally lodged as well. I, th I think yeah. they're sort of taking into account both of those dates. Okay, Brad, you said something about that earlier. Uh, what are you hearing uh, other than it seems to be backlogged? Yeah, well, I spoke to them literally last week mm -hmm. um, and I was told it's a bit of a perfect storm at the moment for them. Yeah. So NDIS boomed in 2017, so they got a lot of three-year audits coming back through. Of course. Um, for recertification and re-auditing. And then because of the COVID pandemic effectively there's a lot of people out of work or a lot of people that have dipped into the NDIS space and thought this is a way for me to make an income and are you know effectively uh, yeah. seeking to open up businesses so they've received a bulk amount of new applications they hadn't predicted as well so their advice back to me is that they concretely cannot give time frames yeah. at this time they yeah they, they won't even yeah. um, sort of indicate any sort of rough Yes, yeah, yeah. we're in the same boat as the providers on yeah. that, un it's, unfortunately. I mean, it yeah. is extraordinary circumstances, mm. so I think we all understand that. Chris, when do you think there, there could be a return? Uh, are you planning on that? Are you, are you, have you got a runway, a horizon to, to in-person? It, it's so difficult to say, mm. honestly, because no mm. one knows when the vaccine is going to come. No one knows when restrictions are going to ease. Mm -hmm. um, I think as a business, we're taking a fairly long view of it because we, we don't want to be going back to planning on-site audits mm. and then having to completely rework everything at the last minute because yeah. there's a, a, a last-minute lockdown. Where we can avoid that, we'd prefer to avoid that. Yeah. So I think we're taking the view that for the time being, mm -hmm. we're still going to proceed with remote audits. Yeah. Of course, where, where things do look particularly good, um, yeah. Yeah, we, we will potentially seek to, to start doing some on-site audits again. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's very difficult to so say I guess, right I now. guess you, you guys are a business as, as is bred. So you must probably always be planning for, for example, the outbreak that we had in, in South Australia, where things can very quickly change. So even if you have returned to normal, inverted commas, you could very quickly always have to go back to yeah. an online and yeah, physically distance. Because if we, you know, if we schedule an audit in South Australia and we have to use a New South Wales auditor perhaps because mm. of a particular skill set, 
and while they're over there, if there's a sudden, you know, if there's an outbreak and we have to call off the audit halfway through or yeah. something like that, it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's a lot of disruption and, yeah. and rework to have to deal with. So, so say we have a, a small business owner has been through the process, they've, they've registered, um, they've then identified a, an auditor to work with, uh, you've had that initial communication. When you are sending out your scoping documentation, mm. are you having a paragraph or, or, or some uh, information about you know, the way that you're going to audit? Do you describe it or do you make provision for that? Do you explain that it's different? In terms of it being a remote audit? Yes. Not at the stage of like signing, signing the agreement. No. Um, all, you know, the, our application process is, is pretty much un unchanged. Mm -hmm. um, of course, our, our business development staff would have that conversation, mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure, with, with the organisations about the mm -hmm. potential for remote auditing. But that conversation is held a little, just a little bit later when our scheduling team actually make contact so with the organisations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we have a special form called a remote audit questionnaire that we send out to okay. providers when we're um, offering them dates yep, yep. and we ask them to to complete that questionnaire yep. and that just helps us to make a determination on whether they're suitable for a, a remote audit mm -hmm. and by and large they are it's it's simple questions like do you have a um, so what has your business been affected by mm. COVID-19 which mm. for pretty much everybody yeah. everybody is yes in some manner some yeah. some people have, have actually answered no to that question and we've actually talked to them and sort of gone mm -hmm. think about it from a, another angle you you mm. probably have been affected in some way mm. and uh, you know do you have a COVID safe plan in place do you have the the right tools to be able to you know can you uh, set up uh, a zoom meeting you know can yeah. you accept a zoom meeting things like that because there are some organizations that actually can't do that kind of, yeah we might have a construction company yeah. um, that don't really have adequate means to to do yeah. a an audit over zoom or something like that if yeah. they're on a construction site yeah. um, but certainly for the, the NDIS, it, it hasn't been too much of a challenge. Yep. Yeah. There, what are, I guess, uh, just a question for you again, Chris, uh, you know, what are the most common registration groups you, you're encountering in the last 12 months and, and you know, how are they coping? Yeah, it's, uh, we, we don't actually report down to that level in our okay. systems, but I did have a look and we, I would say that we probably have about 60% of our client bases, uh, around 60% is on certification audits. Mm -hmm. So that would be the, they have at least one medium or high risk registration group. A common low risk one that I see a lot is uh, 0128 therapeutic supports. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's quite a common registration group. There's a, a lot of occupational therapists out there mm -hmm. doing their thing and, and who are now required to, to register with the, with the NDIS commission undergo the audits. Low risk registration groups are, are all, always very common. Yeah, you've got a lot of holistic providers that, that mm -hmm. provide all mm. sorts of different services. You know, their, their bread and butter might be the, the medium to high risk stuff, but then they sort of have these the lower risk ones on the yeah. side as well. Yeah. So uh, generally from what I've seen, and this is purely sort of anecdotal, but yes. if you get a, a, a low risk provider, so someone undergoing the verification audits, they're mm. far more likely to only perhaps deliver one or two registration groups. Whereas if you have a, a someone who's on certification audits, they're, they're far more likely to have, in my experience, mm. a number of registration groups yeah. you know, spanning the spectrum so low, medium and high. Are you looking to grow your business? We have a fantastic team of experience-led business advisors and online toolboxes that can guide you to scaling your business. You can find all the information at businesscentre.com.au. Okay, so we're, we're looking now at learnings and, and, and tips or, or now what advice would you give to people as they prepare and, and even when we're out of the, of the pandemic and what would you wish, Brad, that you'd known before the audit that you didn't know. You, you want to have a go at that and, and share some learning, some, some maybe some pain? <laughs> 
Sure, sure. Um, I think for me, I think that I went into the NDIS world having known a lot of it from a, I guess, a clinical setting within health and within communities and justice, um, working alongside it, yes. thinking I understood NDIS quite well from all different ages. However, coming in as a business owner, I realised very quickly that I did not know much about the specific elements within the NDIS and the, the practice standards and the expectations of the Quality and Safeguard Commission and that the, they you know, outsource their auditing to NDIS auditors such as Chris and really getting into the, the finer detail then of drilling down into what do I actually need to be registered for? Because as I said earlier, yes. I went in and went, oh, okay, well, I want to do community participation. Yes. Oh, okay, I want to do behaviour support plans. Oh, okay, I want to do therapeutic supports. Yeah. And then, so for me, what I wish I'd known when I did my initial online application is a lot more about those particular registration groups mm. and being a lot more clear. And that's where I, the business um, centre in Newcastle came in quite handy, yeah. connecting with a business advisor. I connected with Nat Ellis yeah. um, and she was brilliant at really understanding and really critically analysing my business model and looking at me and saying, okay, but you're saying 90% of your business is going to be in this space, yes. you know, and this is the difference because yeah. I didn't understand the difference at the time between a verification and a certification. Yes. And for a startup business, that was a big dollar difference. Yes. You're looking at a five grand potential of yep. a certification as opposed to around um, $900. Yes, that's significant. Uh, for my, yeah, so that's yeah. a huge difference in upfront cost yeah. uh, for a startup business. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Chris, as an auditor, you and, and as leading auditors, you, you must see so many pitfalls, uh, traps, uh, things that people f just don't see. And, 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 and as we were talking earlier, mm. you know, you, you, uh, auditors are very familiar with, with systems language and policy language. Mm. Uh, so what would you tip, what tips or what advice or learnings would you share? Preparation is absolutely vital. It's not an easy process, particularly if you haven't gone through this kind of thing before. Yep. It, it can be quite overwhelming, mm -hmm. um, I think, for a lot of providers. And, and as we were discussing earlier, you know, it's, it, it's really been an education for, for a lot of providers. It's been an education for us as well. So yeah. uh, sort of having to work with a lot of people who are completely new to the, to the idea of auditing. I do sort of have to preface this as well by saying that as a certification body, we're not allowed, we're, we're actually obligated to remain impartial. <laughs> so we, we cannot provide specific guidance to anybody on yes. how to, to pass an audit, how to resolve non-conformances, things like that. That's what a consultant would, would be for. So I just want to sort of, of preface that. But I do have a few tips. So make sure you read the NDIS practice standards. That's the, it's the <laughs> yes. really big pitfall that a lot of people don't actually realize. Brad's, Brad's with, nodding his head. Yeah, <laughs> with, with any standard, um, make sure you read the standard and, and really make sure you try and understand it And it as is well. set out quite well. It is the yeah. language, the structure of it. It's quite yeah. accessible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and make sure you understand it. So e even if you've got a consultant assisting you and working with you and helping you, when you actually come to your audit, the auditor will expect that you as the business owner or, or the manager or, or whatever mm -hmm. um, to actually understand the idea of the NDS practice standards and what it's yeah. all about. You know, you don't need to understand every single little minute no. detail, but there does have to be a fundamental understanding there of, of yeah. what it's about and why you and need it. And what it means for you and what your registration is. Exactly. It's about 97 pages. It's not yeah. short. Yeah. yeah, I would recommend completing a self-assessment or conducting some sort of internal audit before yeah. you start. Uh, an internal audit is a sort of expectation mm -hmm. um, of this kind of thing. Thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to uh, also thank New South Wales Government Business Connect program, which is a dedicated program funded by the New South Wales Government and delivered through a network of independent service providers 
to help you start or grow your small business. If you want small business advice, come to the uh, Business Connect program. You call 1300 134 359 or email connect at treasury.nsw.gov.au. Please like us on Facebook, LinkedIn or Instagram. Uh, Google the Business Centre if you'd like to connect with us and we can get you to an appointment right away. But no matter what stage you're on in your journey in your business, please come and get some help. You don't need to do it alone. Thanks for listening to the Business Big Bang Theory podcast. Do you know someone we should talk to? Do you have an idea for a topic we should cover? Or would you like to be featured on an upcoming show? Get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with podcast as the subject line to info at businesscentre.com.au.